You're listening to the Evolution Exchange Podcast Nordics, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful technical leaders in the Nordic region. I'm Sam Williamson. I help connect businesses with their tech talent. Today, I'm your host. Today, I'm joined by Vlad, Nikolai, Yanis, and Aaron to discuss the topic of leveraging resource technology versus budget. Before we delve deeper into the topic, let's work our way around the room with some introductions. Vlad, would you like to kick us off? Yes, thank you, Sam. So my name is Vladislav Zavalikhatko. I'm the CTO at Knowledge Gate Group, an expert knowledge platform with a focus in life science. Um, my role involves around 40% of management plus strategy versus 60% of engineering. And as an average startup, we have an increased focus on getting the full potential out of existing or available resources. So I'm super excited to share what we have learned and, of course, discover something for myself. I'm happy to meet you all and looking forward to our chat. Thanks, Vlad. And Nikolai? Yeah, hi, my name is Nikolai. And uh, I'm currently working as a CTO of Weya, a, a new startup one me and uh, one of my old colleagues made. Uh, we, we basically uh, work with mental health and the youth, and we're trying to uh, solve uh, confidence we're trying to give confident boost towards the uh, to, towards the youth and uh, see whether we can uh, make people acknowledge each other uh, on a daily basis um i was uh, previously the cto of climator um a small uh, climate startup based in copenhagen um and i'm basically really into the whole startup world and uh, small teams and like yeah quick uh, rigid work in a way. So uh, yeah, I'm excited for today. Fantastic. Thank you. And Janis? Yeah. Hi all. Uh, my name is Janis Stiefnex. I work at a tech, uh, sports tech company called Trackman. My role is um, technical lead in the marketing and uh, communications department. And my main responsibilities are all the technical side of uh, web development projects that are relevant to uh, marketing and uh, e-commerce. And I'm also happy to be here and uh, looking forward to our talk. Excellent. Thank you. And last but not least, Aaron. Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm Marun. I'm working at uh, Maersk as a lead developer. So Maersk is a, you know, a very big uh, container logistic company. So here I'm uh, helping them to build all the internal application where you know, we can uh, take this application and solve our internal problems. And uh, before working, I used to work at Carter Manga Studios, which is a service-based company. So there I was working as a tech head. I was handling the entire development team. So I have a good amount of exposure working in a startup culture aspect. So it's great uh, seeing you guys. Excellent. Thank you guys. Now that we've established the context on each of you, let's move into the topic on focus. You all have put forward a question, a statement on leveraging resource and technology versus budget. As usual, I'll work around the room to pose your question and the reasons behind it. Each of you will have the opportunity to, to kind of give your take on the situation. So let's get it kicked off. Let's start with Vlad. Vlad's question was around what are the reasons to use or perhaps not to use outsourcing or external consulting and freelancers? And in addition, what parts of the systems could then be outsourced? Vlad, could you give us a bit more detail or context on that question, please? Sure, I'm glad to do that. Um, I think there are generally a lot of uh, different various opinions about the subject. And we ourselves at KnowledgeGate uh, have used consultants for different uh, processes with change in level of success. So I was curious, what's your experience with it, guys? And what are the to-dos and not-dos, maybe? And some cornerstones to avoid. Excellent. Well, we'll come to Aaron first. 
Uh, do you want to give an answer to that? Yes, uh, depends on the duration of the work, like how long uh, the work is going to be. Let's say if you're hiring external resource, is the person is going to work for one quarter or a six month or one year. So again, that duration also defines the work period. So let's say if the person is working less than a six months, instead of giving a core functionality, you can give a, like you know, specific you know, feature where we don't have any dependency with other teams. So they can just focus on building into the feature. And, uh, Okay. Excellent. Uh, and Yanis, have you got anything to add on to that? Uh, yeah, I also think that, like Aaron said, it, it depends. Uh, but for me, it depends also on, on on much more factors than just the project land. It also depends on the company and also on the team that you are in and uh, whether the company has the IT department or development resources in-house or it does not. Right. So in, in some cases, I think it's very obvious where you would need an external help or a consultant or a freelancer. So let's say if you have a if you have a short term project or something that can be completed in relatively uh, short time and also doesn't require a lot of maintenance afterwards, it's kind of like a obvious uh, candidate that this is a perfect uh, scenario for a freelancer. But then if you have the internal resources, then it becomes a bit more trickier to to decide if if this is the uh, right solution to the problem. So you start with the problem statement. What is the problem like? Is the deadline too close and we don't have enough resources or we don't have enough specific knowledge and then you start looking on how to how to solve this best sometimes it might be a consultant and sometimes it might be a permanent position or sometimes it might be that you need to do extra training for your current resources so um, uh, let, let's say if if you are uh, missing uh, a specific uh, I'd say a specific profile in your team, either a system architect or a good senior developer, or maybe a bunch of junior de developers who can help to uh, do some coding a bit faster in specific uh, areas on, on the app, right? Then you would consider maybe we can fill this uh, position, especially of the start of a project uh, with a freelancer. And then comes the sort of also another big question, what happens when the freelancer leaves? Does it leave us with some knowledge gaps or does it leave us with uh, so, sort of uh, dependency on external resources uh, that you want to ideally avoid, right? So I think if you have a good um, sort of, uh, answers to these kind of questions, then you also are in the best place to make the decision. Do we need uh, help from external resource or do we find uh, another solution for this? I don't think it's a uh, black and white and I'm Definitely not against freelancers because I'm, I have worked a lot with uh, consultants uh, before, and I think it has been a good collaboration, but uh, I think it always comes with a bit of a risk. And also if you would, for example, hire someone uh, with a similar role that you already have in the team, it can also change team dynamics. And then suddenly also like, okay, how you deal with that, that uh, there comes this uh, external part with uh, different opinions that uh, your team has and, and you have a well-functioning team maybe that can get it out of balance, for example. So I think hiring ex external resources can come with um, some risk, but it also can pay off in a really good way. So it, it, it really depends, as Aaron said, on situation. Yeah. Excellent. Nikolai, okay. would you like to pick it up from there? Well, I agree that uh, it, it can be very uh, risky and terrifying if you can't understand the work that, you're, that you've been outsourcing uh, afterwards. and. Also, I, I guess uh, previously when we've been outsourcing, I, I think it's very important to keep in mind that 
or what I would outsource will, will be kind of things that is very isolated by itself. So, for example, we've isolated, uh, we've outsourced, outsourced branding, like branding your company. That That's kind of like a thing on its own in a way. It doesn't need to interact so much with what you have going on, for example. Otherwise, it could be like a third-party system that you need to interact with, like still separated from your own uh, machinery in a way. I think that that's the that's the times where I would outsource. I don't want to spend too much time on onboarding other developers, and because that's a lot of work for me. So I I would say that it's if if you could cut like where where you can cut uh, your project from. The outsourcing uh, where the where the biggest cut is, I would uh, outsource that. And um, I don't want to. Yeah, I, I, it's it's also important that there's not too much setup going on. You know, if you have like a, a big environment that's super hard to get into, you know, outsourcing that could just uh, be very hard. You need to uh, sub- do a lot of support for the uh, for the outsourced developers and, and stuff like that. That's that's the kind of stuff that I would like to avoid at least. Okay, excellent. And um, Vlad, maybe, you, maybe you put this. Sorry, go on. Can I maybe add quickly just some, something sure. regarding what you Nicholas said about the specific knowledge, which I also think sometimes it's also a bit tricky how to estimate, like evaluate. Should we hire an external help for this? Because the more specific. Mm, solution maybe you want to keep that knowledge also in-house in the team because once the person who made it leaves then you'll be left with uh, maybe a huge dependency and something breaks and then you don't even know how to hunt down the person who made the, the fix but but on the other hand like I, I also agree that it's really nice that you can sort of just uh, isolate some of the things and and and, and get off the workload uh, yeah. and, and keep on, on working on, on on regular stuff, right? Okay, I get that. So, At least I think you you might uh, you want to make sure that you are uh, you get a lot of a thorough documentation sent back from the work that you yeah, outsource. Yeah, sort of I, I knowledge uh, sharing, knowledge transfer. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Okay, Aaron, do you got something to add to that? Yeah, I agree to the Nikolai point. So we have to spend a lot of time and energy to train someone about the product. If the product size is very huge, it may take more than a couple of months for them to onboard and understand what is being developed, like what is the goal we have for the product. So again, the time defines that. So if they if we have a freelancer for a long period of time, then it's very well easy. So you know, maybe in a couple of months they'll used to get used to the product, then it'll be like you know straightforward, you just have to give a worker, they'll start working on it. So being an external uh, also depends on how much effort you are willing to put uh, for the development. Mm-hmm. Excellent. And Vlad, you, Makes sense. you gave us a great question there. Is there anything you'd like to add um, to what the guys have said? Yeah, sure. So uh, Nikolai, we did uh, Brandon outsourced as well in our company and it worked out quite well. So uh, I think to add on top of that, I think that um, you usually don't want to outsource the part uh, which you already have internal knowledge of. So Brandon is a good example because um, like for us at least, no one had an extensive experience in Brandon. So we could uh, have someone come and help and get it done. And then we reassigned the responsibilities already on the build foundation. And uh, in general, I think like when people speak about outsourcing or outstaffing, the main factors they take into consideration are price and quality. But one very nice broad point is uh, also knowledge sharing. Like you cannot expect 
the same uh, facilitation of knowledge sharing from outsourced or outstaffed uh, people and the parts of your system uh, given away for external development can accumulate technical debt very very quick um, last but not the least uh, the product of our company is all about making the expertise uh, shareable and this philosophy kind of intertwines in all of our processes internally so between all of these approaches i named i would personally prefer uh, hiring a consultant and the recipe would be we get this consultant to fix the problem we have struggled with and then teach us how to deal with similar problems in the future so we got actually experience for a long time run but yeah that's mm. pretty much it good points Excellent, guys. Does anybody want to add on anything before we move on to the next question? All good. Fantastic. Okay, the next question is from Aaron, um, and I think it's quite quite a good one to ask uh, a lot of the people that are in startups as well. So he put forward, what what budget is limited? When sorry, when budget is limited, how do we improve the quality and the efficiency in the work without compromising on work life balance? And and Yanis, I think we're coming to you for for this one first. Yeah, maybe maybe a bit of context from Aaron first, uh, uh, if if you have something to to add on, because maybe I, I'm I'm just also trying to understand the limited budget part, how that really affects uh, rest of the the question. Of course, part yeah. of being Aaron. Yeah, please. Yeah, so especially in startup culture or service based company, right? Uh, you might have one developer uh, who will fulfill multiple roles at the same time. So when they are taking multiple roles, like, you know, uh, they might feel stressed out and they look pressured might be there. You know, they have to always think about the deliverables. So, so regarding the budget, uh, like, you know, if you have a release, uh, in a, let's say if you're in a working services company, you might have a limitation in the budget saying, like, you know, we have this much of budget and we have to deliver uh, our output with a limited amount of resources. So that situation, you know, we might lose a work-life balance. Cool. Um, I, I, I definitely can relate to the part that you said, like a one developer fulfilling multiple roles, because that's that the situation where I'm right now at uh, my department. But I, I'm also coming from uh, much bigger teams. And uh, I think this is a super relevant question in basically any field where you're working, right? That how do you manage the work-life balance and uh, keep uh, producing good quality work? Uh, I don't think I have a good answer for this. Uh, it's, it's, it's more like, a, uh, in, in my opinion, a lot of uh, uh, has to come from the company itself. You need to be in sort of environment or in the company culture that actually acknowledges that having this kind of balance is important. And especially when you are in a company with limited resources, you have to feel that, uh, well, they are also supporting that you're the only one who is doing all this uh, specific work. So we are not expecting to overburden you with everything. Like you said, that it will end up, uh, end up that uh, the person is stressing out at the end of the day and is constantly doing extra hours and uh, not seeing family or not having any free time. And uh, yeah, uh, so I think first step is to realize if you are in the right environment that the company acknowledges this uh, situation. And um, yeah, I don't know, maybe maybe I can uh, jump to the next one and I will have something uh, more to, to add, but uh, uh, it, it, it's a super relevant uh, question. <clears throat> Excellent. Nikolai, would you like to, to follow up? Yeah, sure. Um, for me, like the work-life balance thing, sometimes if we have a, if we have a lot of work at the same time, what I would do is, is like, uh, what we actually do every week is like, uh, we're trying to set some days where we just we call them crunch days where we're like okay today we get shit done 
So we might sometimes work for 10 to 12 hours and then because then you don't have to like reboot your head every time you meet in and work. You can just like stay focused for a lot of t long time and then uh, then you know hold a little vacation when it's uh, when it's over with that. That's kind of what I do, but I don't know that probably doesn't work for everyone because I don't have any kids and stuff, you know. But uh, basically trying just to work focused in a long period of time. That really works for me at least. Um, also, I think it's super important to rank your tasks um, based like on importance. So, uh, you know, start off doing the most important tasks and also like ranking your task uh, tasks on uncertainty in a way. If you're super uncertain towards how long a task is going to take, you, you might want to do that first, get it over with, get some confidence, you know. Um, start with that hard task and then uh, go home and when, when it's over and, and feel confident that you did the, the, the hardest part now. So that, that, that's kind of what I do with like uh, my, my time and the work-life balance. Uh, you know, crunch, 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 and then uh, chill in a way. If, 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 if I can add to, to this, because I think I have been also in the exact same place that you have these like some really long days or you work a lot and then you sort of take more laid back next days. But yeah. I actually have found over <laughs> years that for me, the opposite works actually better that instead of having these really, really long days, you maybe define the shortest uh, focus time for you each day. Let's say it's maybe only two hours a day, but this is like the time when I'm really focusing on size. Everything else is closed, no Facebook, no social media, phones or whatever. And then some days you, this focus time maybe is four hours. And actually, over a week, you you manage to do much more than just burning out in one or two days. Uh, it's it's at least uh, for me. And also, sometimes I think it's very important to remember that there's also tomorrow or the next week. If you don't finish something today, you you have to do this. But uh, like I said, also in my mumble before, it's also really important that the company understands this, that you are in the culture that uh, encourages that, well, you have to have the work-life balance. Sure, sure. Yeah, I get that. But I guess uh, it's kind of the same thing, just in a longer, smaller period of time. I don't know. I just do it yeah. one day instead of four hours, I guess. Uh, yeah, it's, it's like, but, how, uh, how would you eat an elephant, right? In yeah, one go uh, or exactly. in two uh, go. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's true. That also depends on the mood, right? Like if you are in a really, like, you know, creative exactly. mood, you'll just get onto that and, like, you know, finish off. Exactly. With the face. Yeah. Because sometimes it's easier, like, if you get in the flow, you just keep going. Uh, but then if you are uh, working from, from the office, uh, let's say, then you get an interruption from somewhere and then it hits you out from the flow and then maybe you have to start from the beginning again and then it's maybe gone already. Uh, yeah. Happens. yeah. Sorry, Vlad, do you want to add to that? Yeah, I think that in in theory, I'm trying to always work like Yanis to just like set up two or three hours of deep focus uh, per day and then like um, work 10 hours max a day. But in reality, it's usually uh, switches to the Nikolai's style mm -hmm. and it like ends up being like 12 or even more hours. But um, I think the best point uh, here is to indeed prioritize and cut the scope whenever possible and uh, use more of incremental um, innovation versus like the global and radical one. So like if uh, your company has like a lot of work, just try to cut it down and uh, do bare minimum maybe to not compromise on anything else. And as for uh, quality, of course, 
I think for a team, it's uh, quite important to set up uh, processes and at least some sort of automation. Um, if um, you use like not type safe language like JavaScript, just try to switch to TypeScript. It's not a big deal, but it will increase uh, quality just without um, any additional resources put along the way. Also set up CI and CD processes. Um, here the rule would be that like do 20% of effort for 80% of result, right? And um, as for process efficiency, we actually tried to change the um, releases a little bit inside of our company. Uh, we put the responsibility of testing the application uh, comprehensively on operations or even like uh, considering uh, hiring an external tester at some point. That relieves the team quite a bit. Um, that's pretty much everything that I have to add. Yeah, good. Uh, always use TypeScript. I agree. <laughs> yes. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's also in general about you know reality that sometimes you have these ten or twelve hour uh, work days. Uh, for me, it was also more um, to say normal or easier to accept that before uh, we, we got kid. And I think it's a, applies to, I think, most of people, because one thing is that you want to spend also time with your family, but then you also have these duties that you have to, uh, you know, pick up kids from the kindergarten and so on. And you, you cannot be at the work that long hours. So you have to find a way how to make it working more efficient with the time that you have. And that's also okay. really good to have the standardized processes. Uh, mm -hmm. Like what said, because if you don't have them, you're just gonna freestyle every day, and <laughs> nothing yeah, without yeah. will come out of it. Yeah, I would also say maybe maybe it's also important if you work long hours. I would hate, at least for me, I would hate to to do it by myself. What we try to do is kind of like sync up when we work and like talk about we are working long a long time today mm -hmm. instead of like it's not gonna be a culture thing where okay everyone is supposed to work these hours because everyone is, but like. Mm -hmm trying to plan out, okay, can you stay today or mm. can I stay today? Like uh, put each other into each other's schedule in a way and like have respect for each other's schedules as well. I think mm. that's important. Mm -hmm. Also, especially like when it comes to these really long hours and lack of processes, that can also be a huge risk that you just start doing things over and over again because you just don't notice that something has been already done or is overlapping and... Yeah. Purely for, for the lack of uh, some kind of system behind the work. Yeah, I think the most realistic time man has to be given is you know, instead of over promising on the deliverables and also like you know, avoid giving any assumption when you're giving a timeline. And also the project mm -hmm. timeline uh, like you know should not have any uh, things saying like you know uh, uh, in the resource allocation you can't say like you know one developer will be joining in a month or two. So we can also consider that when we are uh, like you know creating a roadmap. So. It shouldn't be focusing on the futureables. It should be focused on the current scenario what we have. And also, the mm -hmm. timeline uh, should also in include uncertainty like a sick leave, uh, and also mm -hmm. uh, we can optimize the meeting time. Also, there's a lot of time being taken on calls. Yeah, that's also I think a, could be a separate question on its own how to manage meetings. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, do a podcast on that I think. Um, yeah. <laughs> Okay, guys, is there anything else to add to Aaron's question? Yeah, one last point. So uh, maybe creating a reusable component or assets will save a good amount of time, I would say. Excellent. Excellent, guys. Well, moving on now to, to Yanis's question. Um, he put forward to everyone, what is your approach to managing development projects with limited resources and fixed deadlines? And, and kind of caveat to that, do you outsource more resources 
push back the deadline or cut down the features. Yanis, do you want to give us a bit more context before I start passing around? Yeah, the mic? yeah, of course. Uh, I think one slight modification in the, in the question would be not so much uh, fixed uh, deadlines as uh, tight deadlines or, or maybe even impossible deadlines, right? So you sometimes get uh, an assignment or a project, uh, you start a project and something and whoever the stakeholder is, they say that this needs to be done by this time. And your first gut feeling is like, okay, in best case scenario, this is a very tight deadline. And you know, if everything goes really, really good, then we can manage it. But uh, on the worst case, it's, it's, it's actually impossible. So you have to either do some compromises or, uh, or whatever, like, how how would you approach situation like this? Okay, Nikolai, should we come to you first? All right. Um, <clears throat> I guess uh, it it kind of depends whether it's a uh, whether it's in-house development or it's like with a customer. I guess um, if it's with a customer, I would like have the conversation with them. I would say like, where do we cut the corners? Where do we? We don't have all the time in the world. We don't only have this budget. Like, uh, where would you prefer we started developing so we can maybe cut these lower prioritized uh, tasks later? Um, like, basically, when working with clients, I would say keep your cards open. You know, always talk about the timeline. Talk about like what the status is, so they none of you guys will be disappointed in the end. Um, but if it's in-house, I would more say that uh, prioritize which features you can live without at the end um, and then maybe cut them out of the initial product. At least for me, if, if I'm doing, I'm, we always like doing minimal viable products, you know, MVPs. So maybe, maybe it's possible to do this prototype without this and like constantly reiterate on, okay, can we do it without this part or... Um, yeah, see, see, like rank what's important, and you know, start with the most important tasks. Um, that's kind of my take, I would say. Cool, Vlad. Have you got anything to add to to Nikolai? Yeah, sure. I think that's a great point. That like uh, you should cut the scope. Probably that that's like a natural response to the tight deadline. You don't want to move it under most of circumstances because it makes the business uh, uh, people unhappy and uh, their team also feels not good by doing so. But uh, maybe a bit to elaborate on um, cutting the scope, uh, some of things occasionally can be handled by operations instead of relying on complete automation. And as long as these processes um, have like straight line on how to scale eventually and how to automate them, maybe a nice solution would be to do it manually for the time being and then when there is a need of scale you automate it um, uh, if yeah, it's possible yeah and um, to j just make a final point i like uh, a lot nikolai that uh, you in, and your team do it uh, on like pocs style we do the same and before developing any feature we try to cut the scope as much as possible and split it in the doable tasks as long as it doesn't involve like a lot of overhead on keeping in sync with this feature. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, and also sometimes if you cut too many corners, you will, or like if you make the smallest, we like cut so many, many corners that you only have like a very scrappy MVP. It's very hard sometimes to develop that product further because your quality of your MVP is so bad that you end up using a lot of time on further developing that. I think that's a problem that I get into uh, a lot sometimes. 
Exactly, exactly. And uh, plus, when you uh, develop a feature to some extent, let's say 50%, and you keep in mind that like it's only MVP and like the next 50% will come later. If uh, some tasks get uh, like into the way, you also lose the context. And there is always like some price to pay in terms of like remembering what you what your ideas were at that point of time and such etc. So yeah, you yeah. can use it, but also do it like in a smart in a smart way. Yeah. Excellent, Aaron. Have you got anything to add to to Vlad? Yes, I think Vlad gave excellent point that uh, like you know I have to set a clear milestone saying like you know when we have to deliver and uh, MVP one or POC like define that clearly and also identify the priority. Of the task, like you know, uh, build a must-have and should-have feature first, and uh, try to cut down good-to-have feature, which can be released in upcoming uh, uh, versions. And also, uh, so I mean, if we are, if all the feature has to be delivered on the time, there's no way of like we don't have any compromise session to be done. Then the only option is like an outsourcing with a different team to handle that. But at least when you are doing that, give an independent model to them so that uh, like you know you can focus on major functionality. They can just work. Focus on building a you know independent model so that we can incorporate that in later in the future. Yeah. Yeah, Vlad, you got something to add? She uh, just wanted to ask Aaron, would you rather use outsourcing or outstaffing in this case? I think whatever we can get that we can utilize. So outstaffing mm -hmm. is good option, but if that is not happening, then we can go and outsource with a different company or vendor. Okay. Cool. And Yanis, we've had some great answers there to your question. Is there anything you can kind of round it up with? Yeah, yeah, definitely good points and also matches my experience. That's also sort of my initial approaches to build, uh, we also call it MVPs as fast as possible. And if you know the idea of 80-20 uh, split that you can do 80% of work uh, in 20% uh, of the time and then remaining 20% takes the rest of the 80% of the, the time, right? So. Uh, it's like you, you focus on the big picture and try to make uh, all the main functionality ready as fast as possible. But also like if it comes down to, let's say specific uh, web development projects or apps, uh, then you also look at the sort of design and think what can you uh, split down in more reusable chunks that uh, you don't have to write the same features over and over again. And um, at the same time, also like uh, what Vlad said about uh, optimization and uh, operations is also you look at what could be the simplest way to achieve the sort of uh, operational flow in a in very fast time and then later on build on that. Um, and one thing is also like sometimes if if you get like a big project with a limited time, you maybe start thinking too much in the beginning, and then you're stuck into this kind of analysis phase. What should we do with which technology would be the best uh, approach? So sometimes it's like best uh, way to do things is is not to overthink and just start doing, start building the MVPs, and start building POCs, and then just see which works and continue from that one and build on top of this. And if you are in a limited time, you're not going to have a per perfect um, result. Uh, you, you, it's not like possible, right? You're going to cut some corners, but if you are, um, let's say, conscious about that, you're, let's say, making some compromises at a time, then you always have the opportunity to come back and, and let's say, fix it, or you get a new knowledge and then you improve that part of the application, uh, maybe somewhere more down the line. But the risk here is that then you have the same person who did the initial project or in initial app. He has to be in-house also later on in the maintenance phase, because if it's yeah. a consultant that, that does this, 
then they leave and then you afterwards look at the code and say, okay, I can understand what's going on here, but why, <laughs> right? But yeah, then yeah, you yeah. know why, because you, you cut the corners uh, on, on purpose, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that, 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 that would be also my learnings from these type of projects. Mm, what uh, can I ask you about the 80-20% rule of what, what was that again? Yeah, it's it's, yeah. it's it's basically there is this kind of this idea that uh, when it comes to development project, but it also applies to other parts and uh, or other fields, is that uh, you can easily make 80% of required functionality in the 20% of the time that you have because things go fast in the beginning, but then the remaining 20% couldn't be this tricky part that actually takes much more uh, resources or much more time to, to finish. Very relatable, and, uh, actually. I've never heard of that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I have uh, just experienced this in so many places, and then I found somewhere defined this, and I was like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> I've seen it uh, before. I think it's I called the it. Pareto Principle, by the way. Uh, so if yeah, you could be, what's yeah. it called? Yeah. It's, it's Pareto Principle, P-A-R-E-T-O, okay. yeah. And mm -hmm. it's like it's it's stated something like um, if uh, twenty percent of uh, effort costs eighty percent of outcome, or like twenty percent. Yeah, 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 into, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I just remember like the split eighty twenty. <laughs> Yeah. Excellent, guys. And some great answers there. And uh, I think we're getting on now to our last question from Nikolai. Um, so he put forward to everyone with a fixed budget, how do you balance quality and time? Where do you cut corners and when is it too late to cut them? Nikolai, do you want to give us a bit more context, please? Yeah, actually, I kind of uh, forgot what I meant with my last part of the question. When is it too late to cut them? I, um, I don't know if you guys understand that, but I, I really don't anymore. I, I don't know what I meant. But, uh, but anyways, I think I, I wanted to focus more on like the quality of the product, like uh, which parts of your product is important to uh, to like your customers but also like your users like uh, where do you where do you cut corners in your product and also um yeah yeah do you do it on the front end the back end like and how and yeah come come in that direction excellent Vlad we'll come to you first yeah I um like the idea that uh, premature optimization is the more like is evil and I would probably try to not optimize anything at the start and uh, focus more on architecture, uh, keeping scalability in mind. Of course, you don't want to like uh, use some anti-patterns, right? Like when it's obviously going to be slower than using another approach. But in my experience, um, a lot of developers would try to optimize it as soon as possible. Then they would waste a lot of time and they would uh, write unreadable code. It would be quick, but it would not be even noticeable for the end user. So probably I would exclude uh, optimization at the start until like there are some reasons to do it. And um, as for the part uh, front end versus back end, it, the answer everyone hates it absolutely depends. If you want to prototype, then probably you would prioritize making it shiny front end for the users, and then you would add uh, some missing features on the back end. If you want to make something scalable and uh, the front end is not going to be used in the like at, at least initially, you would prioritize back end and then build front end accordingly. So ideally, you would do it in in sync, but it depends and uh, difficult to say what to prioritize front end or back end or vice versa. Okay, Aaron, have you got anything to add to Vlad's statement? There? Yes, yes. 
uh, I mean, don't spend too much time on architecture or like defining the technology in the beginning. I mean, it's not like first time you're gonna work build application that you are bringing expertise. Uh, like you'll be, we have, you might have built a lot of applications previously. So if you have limited number of time, just focus on the technology which are really comfortable and like you know we feel like that works out well. Just start building the feature. Then after completing the MVP, then you can focus on like, you know, scaling up the architecture. And uh, if you have a limitation in the feature, either cut down the very complex feature and or else cut down the buggy feature, which is there in the application. And also uh, like, you know, release application with a limited amount of feature with high quality, like, you know, less feature with high quality is much better than more feature with a poor quality in it. Excellent. Giannis, have you got anything there? Yeah, uh, first of all, I really also, uh agree so much to the Bud's point uh, about uh, premature optimization. I've also seen it and also, of course, guilty of doing it myself. But uh, it, it really is an evil that you just kind of get stuck into like making too many abstractions at too early stages of the project and also trying to wrap everything in reusable parts. So uh, you have to like, if you don't know that this milk will be reused, don't make it reusable yet. A one example would be right, uh, and uh, about the sort of quality or when it's too early to release or when, when it's uh, uh, sort of uh, which corners to cut and which corners not to cut. For me, the corners that you cannot cut is something that has to do with either it's gonna be un like I don't know against some laws or <laughs> regulations or something against uh, I don't know you you introduce a very obvious security flaws. Or maybe you just create a very, hence, hence, uh, like very obviously unperformant application, and uh, also something is that is not going to scale up in the future. Those are the corners you don't want to cut before the release. But everything else, I think it's, <clears throat> you know, as long as it works, <laughs> I think it's good enough. Uh, doesn't matter if it's like the shiniest uh, solution or. Uh, uh, Code can be messy in in my uh, opinion in the beginning if you know what the mess is about, right? Uh, and uh, as long as you can deliver something that uh, does the required functionality at least in a basic level, and doesn't matter if it's a backend that you have some kind of service providing data, or it's a front end that you know you can go and click around and uh, nothing is breaking. Uh, it's good enough. Uh, like there's this idea about uh, rather release something fast but incomplete uh, versus uh, something that is complete but it's gonna be out after two years. And right? so, yeah. definitely excellent. And background to yourself, Nikolai. Have you got anything to add to what the guys have said there? Yeah, some some good points, and I definitely agree with uh, with all you guys. Um, uh, for me, I would say um, also like the quality of the front end depends on like what you're trying to achieve in a way. Um, for us right now, we are really working a lot on front end uh, because we need a very presentable product in a way. And um, the back end is kind of slow, kind of works, you know, but uh, we're not really putting too many hours there. And it also, of course, depends on how many users you have, as you guys also mentioned, uh, like how, how much you want to scale right now. Uh, like, I don't think my product right now can scale to more than 1,000 users, but it's okay, you know, because we're only working with the uh, hundreds uh, in, in that area. So, uh, 
And uh, yeah, uh, yeah, kind of a proof of concept. Uh, always do proof of concepts. Um, for me, that that means like I don't want to be doing unit tests when I can uh, when I can just work on you know a minimum viable product that works, as you guys also mentioned. So I I think we we got around the the question fine. I would say. Lad, do you want to jump in there? Uh, yeah, actually, one very good point uh, from Nikolai. Automated testing, that's uh, something what I would cut probably as a corner, at least initially. Yeah. Uh, I um, had experience developing an application which has never been released, but uh, had almost 100% in test coverage. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I think that, again, the principle of 20 versus 80 works here very nicely. You want to cover some of your code base with automated tests, either it's unit tests or even E2E tests. Uh, just following the steps uh, for your presentation or something like that, right? But you don't want to spend too much time on it, at least initially. Yeah, definitely. Also, when you're uh, releasing product for the first time to the market, you might have certain assumptions with a feature which you're building, right? So once you go to the market, then you might have a different feedback from the people who are using the application. Then once you get a feedback, then you know, based on the feedback, you can go back and rework on the architecture or also redesign certain feature. And also you can also, that will help you to prioritize the feature also, like what is the one feature the customers are looking at currently so that we can focus on. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. uh, I also have something like quickly just to add, uh, I think I, I, I started thinking about the initial iPhone release uh, based on what you said, Nikolai, uh, about the quality and also well, when to release and, and uh, when it's considered that it's ready for launch is that also the initial iPhone presentation, Steve Jobs, when he pressed the buttons on the phone in the demo, yeah. they had to be pressed in a certain order because otherwise it broke. But yeah. it, it oh, was good yeah. enough to <laughs> it was good enough to present it to the world, right? Uh, the front end was working, the back end was not there, uh, probably, yeah. or I don't know how to make that uh, analogy. But so uh, the idea is that covering. idea idea is that like if it works in the big picture, it, it works. You can always gonna iron out uh, all the corners uh, later yeah. on, right? Yeah. Definitely. We focus on the happy flow first, then focus on all the scenarios. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. Scenarios. Yeah. Excellent, guys. Is there any last points um, that you wanted to make on any of the questions that have been covered today? I think just a, a quick summary. Uh, it felt that all the questions have some kind of overlap a bit. But I think uh, all the answers and points could be attachable to almost any question, but from a different uh, perspective, maybe. So it was, That's I think, a, a really good uh, session in in my point. Yeah, very interesting. Uh, some some good yeah. takes, I would say. And uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, also good insights. good to see that uh, lots of similar experiences <laughs> to everyone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Mm, everyone encounters the same problems. It seems uh, within the field. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. the solutions are kind of known, but like have uh, its own their own nuances. So. Yeah, it's yeah. a great chat. Yeah, and yeah, because it, there's a lot of there's a lot of external factors that it depends on, like we talked, right? Yeah. Yeah, Post yeah. on your company and the team and uh, profiles and so on. Yeah, business. Yeah, a lot of the a lot of yeah. the answers starts with uh, it depends. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you also yeah. said a lot, but like uh, but, uh, like like you you had the example about the front end and back end, but what if our product is only back end, right? Exactly. Or only front end, right? So you're not gonna cut yeah. corners there. Yeah, 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 that's true. Excellent, guys. Well, I think that concludes the this Evolution Exchange podcast. I want to take the opportunity to to thank Vlad, Aaron, 
Nikolai and Yanis uh, for providing their insights into the topic. And thank you all for listening. If you would like to get involved in one of our upcoming podcasts, please reach out to me on LinkedIn or via email at sam.williamson at evolution-nordics.com. See you next time.